Welcome back to the Girl Scout Troop Leader Experience Podcast. This is your host, Sarah Heater. And recently in the Facebook group, I made a post asking if you could ask me anything and have me address it on a podcast, what would you ask me? And this episode is one of those questions. Okay, today's question is not really a question. It is an assertion. It is an exclamation. And it is from Bethany in the Facebook group. She said, outdoor progression, exclamation point, which I love the enthusiasm, Bethany. I feel strongly that you and I would be friends if we knew each other. And since now we basically do know each other, we're friends now. I talked a little bit about progression in one of the previous Ask Me Anything um, episodes where I really talked about troop camp. Now, honestly, that troop camp episode was really about troop camp and it was about planning troop camp and progression was a part of that. So I did talk a little bit about this on that episode, but I wanted to do a dedicated episode specifically to outdoor progression, exclamation point. (laughs) And uh, if this feels a little repetitive or redundant, then let's chalk it up to we all need to hear things like seven times in order to really learn them or for it to really sink in and we remember it. So outdoor progression is, well, progression in general is this idea that Girl Scouts is built on, which says that, sorry, that Girl Scouts is built on, which basically is uh, indicative or demonstrative of this idea that as girls move forward through Girl Scout program, they are progressively taking the foundations that they start with and building upon them to go further and further and further and to think bigger and bigger. And one of the beautiful things about progression is that it applies to every girl no matter when they join Girl Scouts, no matter how old they are, no matter what their physical or mental limitations or special needs might be, progression applies to everyone. We all start at A and then work our way through the alphabet. Now, depending on how long girls are involved in Girl Scouts and what all of the extra layers of accessibility are, some girls may get all the way to the letter Z in this (laughs) metaphorical comparison, um, and some girls may not, and that's okay. Um, But basically, we are all starting at the beginning, and then we're going to build on it as we grow. When it comes to outdoor progression, we are really starting at the beginning when it comes to safety and comfort and confidence outdoors. And I'm going to, this is all me, this is not GSUSA, but I'm going to really emphasize that all three of those things are important. Safety, comfort, confidence. So in our progression, we're building girls up in all three of those aspects of being outdoors. If you were just to take any girl or really any person and throw them into a survival situation in the outdoors, they're going to struggle with all three of those things. 
So by starting at the very beginning and progressively building on to their skills and their experience being outdoors, we are over time increasing their safety, comfort, and confidence in being outdoors. And that means that we want to first spend time outside. (laughs) And this can be so simple. This can be going to a park and letting the girls have free play to run around. You could do this after an event. One thing we used to do in my troop is that when we would do um, day trips or outings or field trips or whatever, we would meet at this specific park. It's like a popular park in that area of town. And we would meet at this specific park and we would do drop off there for the carpool. And we would also do pick up there at that same park. That was like our go-to meeting spot. First of all, it was pretty central for everybody. But second of all, it was great because when we would get back to that pickup location, the girls could play at the park and run around and go nuts while we waited for parents to come pick up. And sometimes we would even structure in like taking pizza to that park so the girls would all eat pizza and play while we waited for parents to come pick up. So we would intentionally get to the park earlier than parent pickup was. If we knew parent pickup, we would set parent pickup, let's say for like 4.30, when we thought we were going to arrive at the park between 3.30 and 4. Like we were shooting for 3.30, 4 o'clock. We don't want to tell parents pickup is at 3.30 if we might end up being closer to 4, right? Just with bathroom stops or whatever, depending on how far we were traveling, what time we actually got out of our campsite or whatever wherever we were coming from, um, we wanted to build in a buffer so that um, the girls would have time to like run around and play and stuff while they waited for their parents to come pick them up. And this was sort of a troop tradition, but it was also a way that we built in from the very beginning with that being our pickup and drop off point separate from where our meeting location was for troop meetings, we built in that outdoor play was just part of our troop environment. And a park or a playground is a very simple place for girls to start getting comfortable and confident being outside. So that was part of it. Um, So another thing that you want to start doing on the earlier side of progression is talking about safety from the standpoint of weather conditions, climate conditions, what activities we're going to be doing, what shoes should you be wearing, how should you be dressed, do we need a hat, do we need a water bottle, which in Arizona, spoiler alert, you always need a water bottle. (laughs) We live in the desert, so everybody here pretty much has water. That's like a pretty fundamental thing. But talking about your climate with your girls matters, right? Talking about girls... (laughs) talking with your girls about hydration because we live in the desert that all goes into progression for the outdoors and building in that early in the beginning that we have water bottles all the time when we are going to be outside and you get used to carrying your own water bottle having a water bottle with you all the time and drinking consistently throughout the whole day 
that's really important that when we fast forward all the way to survival skills in the outdoors, hydration is going to be a fundamental priority that the girls learned at the very beginning of, of progression. So that's a really easy one. Then we are going to um, also talk about, like I said, what to wear, what kind of shoes are good, um, what kind of shoes are not good. And that's both for comfortability and for safety and girls kind of learning their way around that. Also clothes, what gives them maneuverability, what's going to be best for um, against the elements, right? Whether that's weather or if you're what activity you're going to be doing different clothes are going to serve different purposes. And so um, talking about that, also starting to talk about planning for the hours that you're going to be outside. You know, do we have a food plan? What about the sun? Do we have protection from the sun? Do we have, whether that's, you know, sunscreen, hats, sleeves, whatever it is, right? All of the above, really. Um, a food plan. So snacks, what kind of snacks give us fuel when we're outside for long periods of time? And what kind of snacks actually deplete us? What snacks make us thirstier? What snacks actually revitalize us? And like I said, give us energy. And so talking about all those things um, is at the beginning of progression and practicing them. Going for walks and ultimately going for hikes, those are great things to do to start building up that comfortability in being outside and being outdoors. And putting into practice the water, snacks, clothing, shoes, protection from the weather, all of those things into practice, putting all of those into practice. And so, um, so that's a really good early on thing to do outside, playing outside, going for walks, going for hikes, starting with a really basic hike. That's why I said go for a walk, right? Starting with a really basic hike and then progressively doing longer, harder hikes. But you wouldn't want to take girls for their first hike on a three-hour, really difficult, challenging hike, right? We want to first just go for a walk around the neighborhood or go for a walk around the block. And we want to get them to practice observing what's around them as well. So observing the walking conditions, observing wildlife, observing nature, observing paths and observing um, for litter, observing for um, different conditions, right? How far away are we from other people or how close are we to other people? What is the noise level like? How are we impacting other people and how are other people impacting us? How are we respecting nature? This is a great opportunity to start talking about leave no trace and the principles of leave no trace and putting those into practice. So when we go outside, how are we respecting the earth and the planet? And how are we protecting our nature spaces, right? This preliminary aspect of progression, this, these early stages of spending time outside and hiking and going for walks and progressively longer and more challenging hikes and walks, this is also a chance for navigating tricky trails and to be able to read a compass and to know what direction you're going to read a map, right? These girls are growing up in a generation of having smartphones in elementary school. And so um, they're very accustomed to, you know, Siri or whatever, just giving them directions and reading out the directions of where they need to go. And so just 
being able to navigate on their own, being able to um, understand directions and to be able to find the way from point A to point B. And this is important because, you know, that fear of being in nature or that fear of being alone or that fear of being away from civilization, that... um, that all goes away as they practice and they get comfortable. Then, you know, the more you practice these skills and the more confident that the girls get with these skills, then when they are in these higher pressure situations, they are comfortable and confident like they can find their way. There's no worries. So that's where you want to start building all of those skills when it's very basic and very easy and then progressively get harder. Another thing that we did at the beginning of our outdoor progression is we had girls practice putting up tents, taking down tents. I mean, if you guys have gone camping, even if you like camp as a family or whatever, tents can be confusing. (laughs) They kind of all work sort of more or less the same way, but that is why practicing is so important. And especially here's what we ran into with my troop with tent camping. If we went camping Friday through Sunday, then we couldn't really leave on Friday for our camping trip until after girls were done with school and parents were done with work. So they needed time to be able to get home from school and work, to get everything together, to take their bags and all their toiletries and everything like that and meet us at the carpool location. We had to verify that everybody had the, like requirements and all of the paperwork and everybody was in the designated cars for carpool and all of this before we could even take off. We had to take into consideration dinner on Friday night, getting to the location hopefully before nightfall, hopefully before dark, and then we still had to set up camp once we got there. So if we stop for dinner, it means we're going to get to the campsite even later. If the girls bring dinner with them, that could work. Um, so like brown bagging sandwiches or whatever in the cars, if they're allowed to eat in the cars, which is obviously also going to be somewhat dependent on the carpool situation. And what do you do if a girl forgets her brown bag? You're going to have to be prepared in some way. So most of the time, what we would try to do is plan an easy dinner for Friday night, something that is going to be really, really simple and straightforward. Maybe we prepare brown bag dinners And then once we get to the campsite, everybody eats dinner, right? Or maybe they eat dinner before they come. But again, that's setting you even later to when you can leave. And what do you do if you have a girl who shows up who didn't eat dinner at home, whose parents didn't give her dinner, right? And so planning for an easy dinner at camp was something that worked well for my troop. Uh, But then once you get to camp and you're racing the sun to get camp set up, often we would arrive at our campsite after dark and they're trying to put up a tent. If that's not a skill that they're confident and comfortable with, that makes that so much harder and everybody's tired and irritable and they want to go to bed and they can't see and they're not used to being in a spot that's that's dark. If you live in a more rural area, maybe you have a lot of darkness in your area. I live in a giant city. And so these girls, the light pollution is so strong. These girls literally don't see the total darkness unless we're at camping, right? And so getting comfortable just being in the dark, in the quiet, um, and also easing into, like I said, the... Um, Definitely practicing with 
(laughs) rolling up sleeping bags. That's a big one. I mentioned that in a previous episode recently as well, but rolling up sleeping bags, putting up tents, taking down tents, all of that is really important in early progression. And um, doing the reason why GSUSA recommends backyard camp out is to get experience sleeping on the ground, sleeping outside. So um, that's definitely one of the things that's on their list. I think uh, part of the benefit of a quote-unquote backyard campout is that they also have access to the house. So they can go inside if they get scared, if they need electricity, if they want to use a real bathroom, right? Like we can ease into the experience of spending the night outside. They don't have to spend the whole night outside and so on and so forth. But spending the night at people's houses is a tricky business. Um, It's tricky as far as parents' personal comfortability and the safety of the girls. And it's also tricky with different council rules and restrictions for safety guidelines for all of the same reasons. So considering if you're going to do something along those lines, like whose house, what's the backyard like, and then also who's going to be home at that house. (laughs) So it's just, it's a tricky business. In my troop, we were so blessed that the place where the, the church where we met, where our troop meetings were held, actually allowed us to do overnights. So we would do sleepovers. Many of the girls had never done a sleepover before, so it was their first time spending the night away from home. And it was in a space they were really familiar with already because it's where we had our normal troop meetings. And we had bathrooms. We had a refrigerator. um, And we had the ability to do indoor or outdoor sleeping there and still have access to like creature comforts. So that was a really good space for us to do indoor sleepovers. We could do backyard camping style type um, practice, I guess, there if we wanted to. And and we could do just one night. And it was very close to home. So if a girl couldn't make it through the night or if she wasn't allowed to stay overnight, she could still participate um, in the pajama party part and a movie night and then have a parent come and pick her up afterwards. So all of these factors are super important. Another thing that can be really helpful in progression is doing your first like camp out as um, typically they call it like a mom and me camp out. Obviously, not all girls have moms who are in the picture or available to camp out. So just to be inclusive, you might not want to call it that Um, just, you know, for the sake of inclusivity and accessibility. But having a um, another female stakeholder in that girl's life who can spend the night with her, that is really comfortable for her. So an aunt, a step-parent, um, obviously her mom, grandma, whatever works. And that just gives her um, a familiar person to be with. The reason I specifically emphasize this, you certainly can do family camp or dads or mixed volunteers and I'm not trying to be exclusive with gender binary talk either Um, it gets a little tricky again with sleeping arrangements when there are men in the picture and so that's why I was being as specific as I was unfortunately I don't think uh, Girl Scouts has super clear guidelines around gender fluid or non-binary um, adults or volunteers, but I would say generally speaking, 
there's probably two camps on that. I think there's probably like a camp that would <laughs> camp. Okay, there's probably two schools of thought on this. There's a school of thought that probably would say anyone that does not identify as female um, would have to uh, be in separate sleeping arrangements. And that can vary by your council's restrictions of what that needs to look like. But the other school of thought on that would be that it's specifically people who identify as men who need separate sleeping arrangements. And so at the end of the day, you just need to talk to your council and you just need to be really clear from your council. But the um, this whole idea of having a parent or a loved one with girls for their first camping trip can help a lot with building that confidence and comfortability. We never did that in my troop. And I would have been willing to do it after the fact, like once my girls were comfortable and confident with camping. Certainly we did bring extra volunteers along for overnights. It wasn't just troop leaders who would go. And in fact, not all troop leaders went camping in my troop. Some liked it and some didn't. So there were some girls who had parents who came on each, like on very on any various camping trip, there were some parents with us. But generally speaking, we never did like a quote unquote mom and me camp out, primarily because I had a really strong conviction in my troop, for better or for worse, <laughs> that I wanted the girls, I wanted Girl Scouts to be a drop off event. I wanted girls to have the independence away from their parents. I think girls are different people when their parents are around and um, giving them the chance to really find themselves and to, um, you know, have that sense of independence and, and I don't know, safety is a weird word, but the op- the opportunity to find themselves without being under the thumb of their parents felt really important to me. Also, I didn't want parents to override my authority with the girls. Um, but, <laughs> and I've talked about this on this podcast before as well, in some ways that came back to bite me because then when we needed parents to help, sometimes it was hard to get parents to step up and help because we had established this whole culture in our troop that not to say was anti-parent. I loved the parents in my troop and I had really good relationships with all of them, frankly, but I was very lucky in that way. But we had set up this <laughs> this culture in our troop that it was a drop-off thing. And so parents were very, very used to this idea that they could just drop their kids off and they did not have to participate. So like I said, came back to bite me a little bit in the end. So I think that's an interesting thing when I start my next troop that I'm going to kind of take into consideration is finding the balance of we want and need parent support and help from the beginning, (laughs) but also we want the balance of girls being able to be away from their parents sometimes as well. And so I think my intention at this point would be to have parents registered and background checked and have them rotate through um, staying for meetings. And that kind of sets the precedent that parents have to step up and help sometimes. But also we're encouraging girls to have some flexibility of being away from their parents. And again, this is really somewhat unique because I don't have a daughter in my troop. I won't have a daughter in my next troop. My 
closest thing that I have to a daughter is a stepdaughter, and she is in her 20s. <laughs> so she is not in Girl Scouts um, as a girl member anymore. And so both my last troop and my next troop, I am a volunteer that does not have a child in the troop. And actually, if you're new to this podcast, the pretty unique thing about my last troop is that we did not have a single troop leader over the entire duration of my troop's existence who had a daughter in the troop. We were all non-parent adult volunteers. Some of the some of us have kids, but just not girls in K to 12. And some of us have no kids and some of us just didn't have kids yet. And so <laughs> all of the troop leaders who were involved in the many iterations of my previous troop were all non-parent volunteers, which is interesting. It's a really unique thing about my previous troop. So anyway, it's something that we gave a lot of thought to of wanting the girls to have this freedom and flexibility to be away from their parents. I obviously understand there are some parents who would not be comfortable with that kind of environment and either they're just not a good fit for our troop or, you know what, we could have a parent volunteer. It's not that we were opposed to having parent volunteers. It's just that it just sort of happened to work out that way. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, um, so with progression, another thing that we practiced with my troop that I think was really helpful and I think it's really important is comfort, safety, and confidence with fire. There are girls who have an inherent fear of things like fire, and being afraid of fire actually is almost more dangerous. So it was really important that, um, of course, if you're cabin camping and you have a lot more creature comfort, it's still nice if you have the opportunity to have a campfire at least one of the nights just for tradition purposes and everything like that. And so it feels like this typical traditional camp experience, but um, you're going to have a lot less reliance on fire if you have like access to a kitchen or a dining hall, things like that, just depending on where you're camping and what the circumstances are. When you're tent camping on your own, though, you are going to be relying on a campfire quite a lot, right? So, and it's possible, of course, it's possible to go tent camping without a fire. It is possible. But generally speaking, if you're tent camping, you're going to need fire. And so with troop leader training for camp, there's fire training. And you could make the argument, and of course, this is going to vary council to council, but you could make the argument that a lot of troop leaders are not fully prepared to handle fire confidently, and I would even go so far as to say, I know I can, <laughs> but I had a co-leader who was very confident with the campfire. She had a lot of experience. She worked at summer camp actually as a college student um, for Girl Scout, Girl Scout summer camp. And um, so she had a lot of experience with camping with Girl Scouts. And then she also has a lot of camping in her family so she was just very very comfortable with things like fire and so that really she was kind of like the fire master in our troop and that was really really helpful to have somebody who was super confident so she actually led our troop fire preparations and training we um were able to light a kind of mobile fire at a troop meeting outside, of course. And um, this is really important too. If you're going to do this, you really need somebody who's really um, 
well-versed in fire, you shouldn't just light a fire. One of the things about Leave No Trace and nature, supporting nature and um, respecting the earth is that you only light fires in designated fire circles where fires have already been lit before, not just creating a fire pit of your own accord because it does leave a lasting impact and impression unless you know how to create one in an environment that can be 100% erased. So that typical fire circle experience, you in in Leave No Trace and in Girl Scouts, like you only light fires where fires have already been in a designated fire circle. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> and I know obviously a lot of people who camp on their own and stuff like that don't necessarily follow that. I'm not like policing you. <laughs> That's, you know, that's between you and whatever park ranger or police officer, depending on where you are. <laughs> but um, just for the sake of practicing at a meeting, don't just like create a fire circle at a park or a playground or in someone's yard or whatever and just light a fire. Like, don't do that. <laughs> but um, my co-leader was able to create kind of a mobile file fire circle where it could be 100% removed and um, so we lit a very small fire just to talk about how do you start a fire and what does a fire need to stay lit? What do we use a fire for? What are some basic fire safety rules? Let's all make agreements as a troop about how we're going to be safe around a fire. You could practice cooking with a fire if you can <clears throat> do this at a troop meeting. If not, you can ease into practicing cooking at a fire once you're actually at your first, you know, campsite. You could do a day trip to a campsite as well without doing an overnight there if there's one that's close enough to home to do a day trip. And that would be an opportunity for you to practice with fire and to learn about fire safety. We also have <clears throat> some of our local parks. I'm sorry. Like, I have a frog in my throat. I know it's really annoying to listen back to, so I apologize. Hopefully, hopefully I don't get any bad reviews for that. But anyways, <clears throat> our, our, some of our local parks, like our city parks and stuff, actually have designated fire circles you can use. You can light fires in. And because I live in the desert, we also have no burn days and things like that, that we have to always check and be aware of and take really seriously. But assuming the conditions are safe to light a fire, we also have the ability to do that at some of our local parks here in the Phoenix area. And so that's something for you to look into as well. If there are parks that have fire designated fire circles that you could practice with fire. But this is important because we don't want girls to be scared of fire. We want them to be comfortable and confident with fire um, and also to be really well-versed in how to be safe around fire. And they're going to be more safe if they're comfortable and confident, right? So all of the above, those are things to practice. Let's see. The other big aspect of progression, outdoor progression, I would say, is how far away from home you are and how many nights you are spending away. And of course, the conditions or the circumstances. So if you can stay in a, you know, a Girl Scout facility, a Girl Scout camp property, then most of the time you're going to have cabins. I know a lot of times they're even weather proofed. So they are climate controlled. They may have heat or air conditioning. 
depending on the time of year you're going. Not always. Some some people are listening to this and thinking, not at our Girl Scout camps. I get it. Only some of them have that. Some, even the more rustic Girl Scout camps, they're still mostly going to be not sleeping on the ground. You're going to have designated like bunk beds, like actual beds. You're going to be most of the time in a cabin scenario. You're going to have a really built up camp property. You have usually access to a full kitchen. You may even have access to a kitchen staff. If you go with a bunch of other troops, then you may even get served your meals, right? If you're going for like a big encampment or something like that or a jamboree or a campery, or any of those phrases. And I've done a phraseology in the past, breaking down all of those different <laughs> words. If those are new to you, it just basically means um, a camp where there's a lot of troops, right? So if you go to a camp property and there's a bunch of troops that are all there at the same time for the same like camp event, then um, often they serve meals to you. So you aren't cooking you may have capers to help out, but you, um, you know, you have a lot more kind of comforts. Also, there's a lot of other people, so you're not as um, like siloed, and that can feel like an easier um, adjustment for girls who are less experienced compared to like tent camping in the middle of nowhere where no one else is around. Also, you want to consider bathrooms. Like a lot of times at Girl Scout camp properties, you have a real bathroom. Uh, Most of the time, those are separate from your cabin. So this is another thing to kind of look at. If there's camp properties in your area, whether they're Girl Scouts or not, if there are camp properties that have a bathroom in the cabin where the girls are sleeping or whatever, then that can be an easier adjustment. But even at a Girl Scout camp property, most of the time they're walking from the cabin to a designated bathroom building (laughs) and um there's some adjustment in that but even that is like there's still real flushing toilets and there's usually showers there although it's like a girl scout thing to not shower if you don't have to if you shower you have to clean the shower so a lot of times we don't shower on camping weekends at girl scout properties but if you need them or if girls need that to ease into um progression wise then you know then you have more of a chance of having access to those things at um, a designated Girl Scout camp property compared to, again, tent camping somewhere where there are no designated bathrooms. No, every time my troop went tent camping, we actually went to sites that had designated bathroom buildings and we tried to get not the closest site to the bathrooms because then you get a lot of foot traffic and it can be a little creepy and bright and whatever but a very close campsite to the bathroom. That was something we always really prioritized, was trying to plan our our tent camping that way, that it was an easy walk to the bathroom building, and we did have a designated bathroom building, but for the same purpose, right? By the time your girls are more adventure-oriented and they're older and they've had a lot of experience, they might go backpacking through some major trail. And, and in those instances, a lot of times they're not going to have access to like a real, you know, quote unquote, a real bathroom, right? And so that's another thing to kind of take into consideration with easing into um, progression. One more thing that I'll touch on progression wise is just that idea of meals. (laughs) So I talked a little bit about like cooking with a campfire or having access to a dining hall, but um, simpler meals in the beginning And um, even if you take 
sandwich stuff if you can cook some things ahead of time so it really just has to be heated up or can be served cold but it's you know it's fully cooked anything that's going to be a little bit easier for the girls to do themselves or it's pretty much already done and they can just like kind of do it as a takeaway type meal that is going to be easier when you're adjusting to so many other changes and new things Um, It's going to be easier on you and it's going to be easier on the girls. And part of the reason why progression is important is not just for the girls. It's for you too as the volunteer. So it can be really overwhelming if it's a lot of new stuff for you. If you aren't a super comfortable, confident camper, you also need that progression. And, And that is just kind of where I want to leave it is no matter how old the girl member is, she still needs to experience progression. So if you have a cadet troop, who's been camping together and you have a brand new girl who joins who's never been camping before or has never been to a sleepover, you can't expect her to just be on the same page and be able to do like a four-night camping trip six hours away from home. She's going to need that progression. And so, like I said, same is true even for adults, right? We need that progression. Now, generally speaking, most of us have adult, as adults have spent the night away from home for multiple nights. We um, may or may not have been camping. We may or may not have slept outside. So we're going to be a little further along in progression than some of the new girls come in. But in general, like when new girls come in, they could be in any different point in their progression. So we want to make sure that everybody gets to experience progression when it comes to the outdoors. Okay, so I think I've pretty thoroughly covered this topic now between previous episodes and this one, but if you have specific questions about outdoor progression or what it means or some other tips or tricks, please let me know. I want this to be really helpful. So if there's a burning question on your mind about this or really about anything, please feel free to reach out. I love getting emails from you guys. I get emails from listeners kind of often. Sometimes it's about a very specific situation you're dealing with, and I'm happy to give my thoughts and see if there's any support I can offer or just to let you know that you're not alone. But also, I love hearing from you about your wins, about your success stories, about the things that you're proud of and happy about and excited about. So if you want to share your outdoor stories or your camping stories or your overnight stories or anything like that, I want to hear them. I love Girl Scouts. I love talking about Girl Scouts. And that's one of the biggest reasons why I started this podcast to begin with. And so... Yeah. So if you have any thoughts or stories or questions or concerns or anything that you want to share with me, please feel free to reach out. There's two really main ways to get a hold of me. You can email me at girlscoutpodcast at gmail.com. Again, girlscoutpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash girlscoutpodcast. And there's a link on that page to join the Facebook group. So You can find me any of those ways. You're welcome to DM me. You're welcome to email me. You're welcome to post publicly in the group. Or it's not public. It's a private group. But you know what I mean. Post amongst other people. So any and all of those will reach me. And um, I'm a real person. So I do respond. And just another quick reminder in case you weren't unsure This podcast is not in any way sponsored or endorsed by GSUSA. I do not work for GSUSA. I do not work for any council. I'm a lifetime volunteer. I have a lot of experience in a lot of different roles. I love Girl Scouts so much, and I've been involved since I was five. And 
that's the extent of my experience, but all of the opinions and experiences expressed in this podcast are mine personally and um, are not in any way uh, the perspective of GSUSA or any council. So, you know, take that as you will. (laughs) All right. I love you guys and I'll see you next week.